thinking actually today that all good music needs a host, right? Yeah. I mean, you, anytime you listen to anything or are inspired by something, it's been given to you by somebody. Yeah. And radio plays a huge part in that. Oh, yeah. And we are sitting here today with Mr. Dead Air Dennis Dillon, our good buddy. And in my opinion, the voice of Lexington, because I've been listening to you since, oh, what, yeah. what, 25? How long have you been doing this in town? In Lexington? Yeah. That's when I'm familiar since, with you. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a jagged path, you know, because <laughs> I was here and then I was gone for three years. And then I came back and then I transferred for two years, so... Uh, since 1989, I've been in Kentucky every year since 1989, except for five years. I right. Think. Wow. So what's that? That's <laughs> 30? You're talking to the 32 worst math guy. Yeah. Over 30, 30, 30, 30 years. About 32 yeah. years. Yeah. I was going to say, because as far as I know, like, so I'm from Maysville, mm -hmm. and we're dead center of Lexington and Cincinnati. So yeah. I, we could pick up both stations. Like, I can get some Cincinnati stations and Lexington. Right. And the big ones were WQ and WEBN. Mm -hmm. And so sure. you were you were my voice for a long time, you know. So it was always really cool once I moved here and we got to be buddies, you know. But uh, yeah. that was what I listened to. I was a rock guy, you know. So yeah. I listened to you more than anything. And uh, sorry, well, I mean it was great. <laughs> but uh, do the is it too early in the podcast <laughs> for the apologies to begin? No, not at all. But like, <laughs> I always felt uh, that's where I was introduced to so much stuff. What what made you go down that road, man? Uh, what just, what bit you into the radio thing? You know, just fate, really, more than anything else. It's funny because I always think back to when I was, a, I think, maybe a junior or senior in high school. And, and we were art students. I want to say we were art students. We were, it was such a small school. Nobody was an art student. You know, you went yeah. to the art room to not take another class. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I do possess some artistic abilities and um and me and a buddy were, we were teacher's aide yeah. for the art teacher. And um, so the first class of the day was just me and him in the art studio. We were supposed to clean up and get ready for the day. And she would say sometimes, well, just go ahead and get the, the barrel of clay out because today everybody's going to be doing clay. Yeah. So we would do, you know, we just, it was just a goof off for us. So we got into doing pranks, constant pranks every day. We were... Put stuffing wax into the compressor and plugging it in and shooting it out at people walking down the hall. <laughs> Just you know, we were we went out to the outside of the school with a shoebox and collected a bunch of grasshoppers and we took them into the art room and we put painted pinstripes on them nice. and let them loose in the hall. So you know, I mean, play we, some bets. We yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, but one day we decided we were going to do a fake commercial, and uh, it was me introducing my buddy Fred Dixon, and I would say, Fred Dixon, singing all your favorite classics, like this one, and then he would sing. We did this on a cassette tape, right. you know, just one take, and, and, uh, and the art teacher, who I still speak with today, she said, Fred, she goes, I can tell you this, you're never going to be a singer. She said, but Dennis, you might have a career in radio, which didn't resonate at all at the time. I, sure. you know, but, but I was always a music fan. Yeah. And, uh, and one day, one afternoon on a weekend in Ironton, Ohio, I, uh, I saw a guy on a street, and this was 1986, summer of 1986. 
and I see a guy looks pretty cool, a pretty cool looking dude, you know, yeah. he's, he's standing there on the corner and I don't know what he was doing. Um, and I, he had a U2 Unforgettable Fire t-shirt on. Nice. And I thought, whoa, somebody else in this town of 10,362 knows who you two <laughs> knows. You know, right. And so I, I just walked up and started talking to him. And he said, well, I work at the radio station up on the hill. And he says, you should just come apply for a job. So I did. And I got a phone call later that afternoon when I was working at Taco Bell. Nice. Yeah. So it was like a just climb the ladder kind of thing. It was, the bottom yeah, long, a long, long climb. Ladder. I'm still climbing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Did yeah. you play a lot in Ironton? <clears throat> yeah, I played a lot in Ironton. Uh, man, there was a couple of different places up there. We for a long time we kind of switched between flip between Huntington, West Virginia, and Ironton, Ohio. Mm. And uh, sometimes I played both of them. Sometimes there was nights where we didn't start in Huntington until. 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So there were some nights I could play an early show in Iron and then flip wow. over and do the show in Huntington. Yeah. Oh, now, you, and you were born and raised in Mount Olive? Olive Hill. Olive Hill. Olive Hill. Olive Hill. So, Hill. That's right, Olive Hill. Roughly about 45 minutes from mm-hmm. Huntington. So when I first started playing music, really playing music, that's that's the direction I went first. Yeah. was up that way. And we spent, I don't know, four or five years in a place called the Ragtime Lounge where Billy Ray Cyrus made it out of. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Gun and Knife Club. <laughs> it, yeah, it, right. It, it was a doozy. Yeah, there were a lot of doozies in that area back yeah. in those days, for sure. But that's that's weird, man, because, I mean, even even getting into entertaining stuff, I mean, I've always been that way because you were talking about doing all these things. And I remember in school, in grade school, I couldn't have been in sixth or seventh mm-hmm. grade. Mm-hmm. And... They split everybody into groups, and our, I don't remember if it was music or what it was, and we all had to come up with skits like a little play. Sure. So my idea was we did the skit of uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, only it was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood after after a nuclear war had taken place. <laughs> I, can't remember, I can't remember. Optimistic how kids, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. You sure it wasn't Mr. Robinson? No, it was, no, I hadn't seen Mr. Robinson at that time. And I can't remember all of it, but it all revolved around, you know, the whole world had gone to hell and been blown up. And, you know. I used to do the same thing, Katie, my sister, uh, when we were little, back when the kids that are listening, when you made mixtapes, oh, yeah. we'd actually record it with a microphone to a speaker and make yeah. it a, a tape. But in between songs, we would MC it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we yeah. we would introduce like we were on the radio. It was all just a imaginary fun kind of deal. And oh yeah, we used to do that stuff all the time. Man. Do that, and there was a big thing at one time where you would do it. It'd be like comedy sketches or something, but you would have like your cassette tapes, like when especially when they had the dual cassettes. You yeah, remember? yeah, and so you could like ask some silly question or something and you play a line from the song to make it all funny or something. (laughs) Those dual cassette decks, they were like the Cadillac of cassette decks. But do you remember like the little Radio Shack ones and you would like set it as close to your radio as you could with your finger on the record and play button just ready to let it loose. And then that damn DJ would come on and start talking. (laughs) And you'd be like, oh man, I just got Tom Petty's breakdown but there's a guy talking at the beginning of just ignore him. <laughs> you gotta talk it's in the beginning and in the face. Story of my life. <laughs> Did, were you playing music uh, before any of this? Did you start playing guitar or anything before you got into radio? You know, there's a lot of people who would tell you that I still haven't started playing guitar. <laughs> uh, were you trying yeah, to play guitar? <laughs> I was trying to. I broke a lot of strings. 
Um, and I still can't tune one. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, in Ironton, we, I ran into a guy. I was taking classes at Ohio University at the branch in Ironton. And I uh, ran into this guy. And uh, I don't know how I worked. I just, but I did. I seamlessly just worked my way into the band called Destiny. Because that's what you name your band in 1983 sure. or 84. And, but yeah, and so this guy, uh, Kenny Adams, has, come, has resurfaced back in my life, which is really a blessing. Yeah. In fact, he, he's been coming to a lot of Brian and I's shows, and he brought me a guitar that he had kind, oh, of, cool. kind of put together for me, which I played the last couple of gigs. But yeah, I mean, and I hadn't seen you know, Kenny in 20-some, maybe 30 years um, until we met at... Guess what, guys? Something we were talking about before the meeting, before the <laughs> podcast, a funeral. Right, yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's really been a, a blessing to kind of, you know, connect the dots back again and, yeah, and see this guy. Cool. But yeah, we, I was in a band in probably 83, 84, 85, and we kind played. of stuff for you playing. Mm. Well, okay, there was Brian Adams, was um, pretty hot at the time. Yeah. Uh, the Cars. I could always I do love it. the cars, man. They they get a bad rep sometimes, but I I've love always the cars. loved the cars. Yeah, I uh, it was one of my favorite bands in high school. I could always kind of pull off that. Oh yeah, kind yeah. of uh, whatever, uh, because I can't really sing either. So you know, I I I kind of lean towards the artists who can't sing either. Right. <laughs> Just so it's it's kind of a great uh, leaning post. Um, Mellencamp. Yeah. Authority song. Yeah. What else did we play? Rick Springfield. My buddy Kenny really was into Rick Springfield at the time. And he had some original songs, too, which were actually pretty good, you know, for us being young and not not knowing at all what we were doing. But we would play at the Boys Club in Ironton. No bars. Yeah. Because I don't even think a couple of the guys could get into the bars. Yeah. You're talking high school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And we played a couple of high school things. But I was 20, I think I was 21, 22 at the time. Yeah. So I was... But it was just fun for me. I, you know, one of those things. Everybody wants to be in a band, right? Even I'm, if I'm curious what your wardrobe looked like on stage. Oh, <laughs> you know, I don't even remember. Um, there are a couple. We made the Ironton Tribune a couple of times, and in one of the photos, I was wearing just a black T-shirt. So I was, you know, not far off of, you know, just right. playing it right down the middle. Right. right. I'm not gonna go too far. You weren't no spandex, David, David Lee Roth or nothing. Right. No. No. No high jumps or high kicks either. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Man, I'm going to uh, segue real quick, just talking about playing music, tell a story. Uh, we played CCI, what, a month ago? Yeah. Um, Dennis and Brian saved us this night. It was, it's a great story, though, but a lot of people don't realize, you know, when you've got a four-hour show to play, oh, and you take, you know, three, 10, 15-minute breaks in between that four hours, you get tired, you got to go to the bathroom, you need a drink, oh, yeah. I want to go out and smoke, have fresh air, whatever. The crowd never lines up with the break. <laughs> never. Never. Not, not the way you there. want it to. Yeah. And that Especially at CCI. Yeah. Correct. But that particular night, the crowd was there oh. as we were showing up. Yeah. So we were like, let's go ahead and boom, boom, boom. Let's knock them dead as soon as we start, you uh -huh. know, which worked. And then after about, what, an hour and 15 <laughs> or 20 minutes, they started to walk out. And I was like, okay, we... We're gonna take a break, but then this whole other wave came in, <laughs> and they were part. They were party people, mm -hmm. and I said we can't take a break right now. I was like, but I'm dying, you know. Like I got, <laughs> yeah. I got to go outside or something. And then I see Brian come in, and I see Dennis come in. I was like, oh, thank God. You know, I was like, <laughs> guys, get up on stage right now, which we don't do that very often. We don't get that many guests to come up. 
But I knew you guys could come and at least give me two songs. Yeah. To keep the crowd interested yeah. while we had our little break and we could come back and it worked. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was a lot of fun. You're right. They were rabid. They were, yeah. And they and came in that way and we were right at that moment of, <laughs> we're about to die. You're like, I need a break. <laughs> we, we got there at the perfect time. Yeah. When we started. And yeah. the, the, the afternoon crowd, you know, the older crowd was still in there, but we had some of the younger mm-hmm. crowd in there. And I remember a guy came up and, and he's like, do you know... Uh, Rose-colored glasses. I'm like, yeah, hundred dollar bill. That guy's name was Norm. Okay, so before he ever got back to the bar, the guy that sat beside of him came up and had a whole paper list of songs. And I looked at him and said, yeah, I, I can do those. Yeah. Another. Hundred. So for the first 30, 45 minutes, it was all sad old country. You know, I'm sitting there, and the bartender's like, you got to pick it up, you're killing it. I said, hey, as long as they're throwing hundred dollar bills in here, it's going to be sad all night. <laughs> We're going to be sad tonight, folks. Real sad. But that first hour, you have that crowd, those yeah. older people, and they yeah. were digging it, man. Yeah. And then right about then is when they left, and that younger party crowd came yeah. in, and we were like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> not only step it up. not only is the Chevy Chase Inn, you know, Lexington's oldest whatever nightclub right. establishment, whatever you want to call it, but it's the people there, and yeah. and true, the people behind the bar, you know, Martha and Norm and all those guys are fantastic, yeah. but the people who frequent that place. They're just like, no, it's, yeah. it's almost like they came in their own spaceship from another place. <laughs> yeah. This is our place. You know, this is, yeah. we're here to inhabit your, 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 ter- your, occupy your territory. I remember when, when COVID first took place and mm-hmm. all the bars were having, been struggling and all this. And Martha texted me and was like, you know, we want you guys to come play, but we can't pay. Can't pay. Or it's not going to be as much or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that was the, a lot of places were doing that. Yep. CCI was the only one I agreed to. Simply for that reason, because yep. it was like, I just like playing here, yeah, yeah, and I don't want to lose my spot if I say no or like I I want this to be a family, yeah. like to me, you know, and you want to keep it in your want to keep arsenal, of, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's just one of my favorite places to play, man. We t- I think we've mentioned it on every episode we've had so probably, far. Probably, yeah. uh, there's always a story. <laughs> well, that, yeah. I mean, right? Yeah, there is. He drugged me back. <laughs> I hadn't played there what three years mm-hmm. since I'd been there, and I mean just like two days before we went back down there to play, I was like, man, I said, I think I'm gonna cut my drinking and stuff out while we're playing shows. And we got Chevy Chase for the <laughs> first show. Why? And you know, I walk in, I look at Johnson, and I just I, I just walked in and smelled the place, and all I could think, I need a beer. I yeah, a beer. yeah, it's hard to resist, that's for sure. You know, when uh, COVID, let's see, how did this work out? It was March of that year when I kind of splintered off from working music mm-hmm. with um, Freak Daddy. Right. And, um, and I, you know, and I told myself, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done, Dennis. You know, you love doing this, but, you know, I said, I got to do it. it. You know, it just felt like it. And it wasn't because of COVID or anything in particular. It was just I just needed a break from it all. And I thought, you know, I'm never going to get this opportunity again because, you know, it's I'm very humble about it, yes. But, you know, I know that I'm not like not looking to be in a band per se. Um, so then literally like two months later, it's like May uh, and I'm walking my little dog down the street and Brian is there. And I said, you play, we hadn't really met officially. I said, you play guitar, right? I said, you should just come up and, you know, and from that moment on, we were just, it was just a it's natural. Yeah. yeah. And we played, and I want to say we played the Chevy Chase Inn every week or at least 
two or three weekends out of every month through the entire COVID. I'm gonna say you all were yeah. there a lot, yeah. During and, that period, and we just used that as our springboard. Our that was our practice. Was yeah. just going there and making a lot of mistakes and laughing and, and having a place that allows you to do that mm-hmm. too is yeah. a whole thing. Yeah. You know, that's great. Yeah, there's not enough good things I can say about all of the clubs that support yeah. local music. Yeah, and you know, I find it, and and you guys can, you know comment on this but I find it like interesting that there's a a large segment of people not just in this town but everywhere that don't really have an appreciation for live music oh, no. and I yeah. almost feel like it's that they just don't understand it mm-hmm. or I, I don't I can't get inside their minds to 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 ascertain what it is about live music that just doesn't you know I mean I get a there's a cattle prod you know yeah in, in I, th- I think it's generational, man, because like a lot of the older guys that, that I looked up to that were played around town, mm-hmm. the 70s or 80s, would talk about the shows that they had, and it would be one in, one out, Monday yeah. through Sunday, yeah. you know, like yeah. every single day, and yeah. talk about these wild crowds, and it was great. Of course, there was no cell phones, you could smoke in the bar, they all stayed there, yes, you know, yes. and then when I came to town, and like you get to a certain point, you play so long... You, you know when you've, you've got a good band. Like, you eventually, right. you know, like, we're, we're, we don't suck that much, you know? <laughs> um, but there's some nights where you really know, like, dude, we're on fire tonight. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. we smoked it. And there'll be crickets after every song. Yeah. And you're just like, I don't get it. Right. You know? How are they not are, feeling this? Like, they have to see this. Mm-hmm. Are they just not paying mm-hmm. attention? Right. And then how do, you, how do you get them? How do you wrangle them in? You know, it's like, that's... Uh, I've just noticed it worse and worse as the years have gone gone by that it's slowly like they just aren't listening. That was the question I was going to lead into both for both of you. Yeah. George, you feel the same thing like that it's that it just keeps dropping off the table. I don't know, man. I mean, it's more so now uh I mean, I agree with the the point that I don't think people mm-hmm. appreciate live music the way they used to. I mean, when I first came to town and, and we were playing, you know, Austin City three nights a week, and like he was talking about I mean, back then, it was it was. I mean, it was one in, one out. I mean, they you couldn't dance. I mean, it's like playing a concert, yeah. all three nights. It was crazy. And you know, and I was doing probably fifty percent original material. Wow. And that's what the crowd was digging. Mm-hmm. You know, they were singing my songs, and, and yeah. you know, and now it's just you know those, I have those people have just kind of you know gone their way right and I, I do I mean I agree with him on the point it's, it's just a generational I don't think the generation that's out going right now I don't they're there for a different reason I have mm-hmm. noticed though it's gotten better since the COVID thing COVID. has gone down yeah mm-hmm. and I think that's just a matter of people were just glad to be out and doing oh, yeah. something yeah. but our crowds doubled or tripled in some cases yeah. compared to the year before COVID hit oh yeah yeah like it seemed like that was just a nice little break, and then okay, here we are again. <laughs> yeah. It has gotten a little I, better. What amazes me though is like you can get up there. I mean, we've had some really good crowds, and, and it's still, it's still the same old songs. Yeah, you don't want to play. That's, that's <laughs> what gets them out there and doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, man. I mean, the kids today. I mean, half yeah. of them weren't even born when Friends in Low Places came out or whatever. But but they're yeah, loving it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, it's you know, it's just good to see encouraging signs when you're up yeah. there. Oh yeah. And um, 
you know, you you glance, you know, you glance around the room and you look for, you know, the feet to be moving or the or the hands right. or the or it's the, a two way you know. street, man. You got to, mm-hmm. you know, they're feeding you as much as you're feeding them, and and I think what John's saying, it, it, when you're putting it all out there and you've done that, you know, and it's yeah. just like, and then still nothing, you know, yeah. Do you do you listen to your uh, radio? Like, do you ever listen to yourself after you've done it? Yeah. Sometimes. I know some people are weird about listening mm-hmm. to themselves. Do you prefer the live instant gratification, like of the crowd and the I cheering? Do. Yeah. Is it because it's a totally different thing? It yeah, it's two different forms of entertainment. But you're me. definitely more famous for your radio. Very much so. But the instant clap as soon as the song is over is a completely different high. Right? Yeah, because you don't get that in radio. Exactly. At all. Yeah. You know, it's not like I, uh, I I talk about you know whatever. You know, here's classic rock news today. You know, mm-hmm. classic rock ninety two one rock news. You know, Guns and Roses, Tom Petty's. You know, box set. And it's not like somebody calls me up immediately after. Oh, really? That's well, tell me more about that box set. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. You know, or I answer the phone ninety two point one. You know, right. Really, this, this, right? These things don't happen. So yeah, yeah. But to be up in front of people, you know, asking for attention and then getting it and then being appreciated for it. Yeah, that's that's a whole new ball game. Yeah, it's different. It is. See, he's still better off than I am. All my shit's recorded, so I'm just sitting there looking at a wall and a piece of paper. <laughs> I'm and that's hard to do, isn't it? <laughs> the first. Hey, the four-hour show, the first one I did took me seven and a half hours. And I, and I probably spent two and a half just on the intro coming into it. People don't realize how difficult that job is. Well, I mean, you know, it's like, so, I mean, I just fell into it. You know, we did the, the guest thing for Carl, and then, you know, a few weeks, month or two later, I got a call, and... But it was a whole lot easier sitting there in the studio. It was me and John and Missy Don. We're just sitting there, just like we are right here talking. Yeah. And then the first time, you know. And she was doing all the controls, oh, yeah, too. Yeah. We were just hanging yeah. out. <laughs> that, was, that was another part, too. You know, this hillbilly looking at a laptop trying to figure out how to convert stuff into this file and that file. You know, covering up my, my air conditioner and, you know, turning it. Trying to soundproof yeah, the yeah, room. So <laughs> And it's hot in there. You're oh, already yeah. you're already yeah. hot inside. He'd be because right of... in the middle of it, and the water heater kick on. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, it was. I mean, the first time, every time so far, and I've only, <laughs> only had three shows. <laughs> but it's just it's different. I mean, you're sitting there, and it's like, man, I'm gonna have to get some cardboard cardboard cutouts of my buddies or something to stick out in front of me. Put so in I'm front gonna, of you. Yeah, because sometimes you just feel like, you know. Then you have to go back, or I do. I have to go back and listen to everything and make mm-hmm. sure I didn't say something stupid or something offensive, or mm-hmm. you know. And so, I mean, I've cut it down to about two and a half, yeah. two and a half hours now. I can get through it because the more I've done it, the more I've got comfortable with just saying, "Okay, they asked me to do this because they liked what they heard. I'm just going to be myself and do uh-huh. it because that's what they got that day." You know, at first it was like you know trying to do the radio voice, and you know, yeah. Johnny Fever or something. But, yeah. <laughs> Staying on the same track of things changing, uh, radio's changed a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you miss the hard copies? I do. Yeah. Just, just the fact of having that whole motion kind of thing? Like, so it's, it's, a, it's a two-pronged thing, you know. Uh, on, on one hand, you know, if I was still doing it that way, there's no way I would get everything else done ever. Right. 
um, four hours in the studio just sitting there and loading the next song or record or CD and also pulling all the little carts for each individual commercial right. and plugging them into a little box and hitting the play button. You know, that that's all you can do. Yeah. When back in the day, I, I still have the dream, you know, and we call it, the, in radio, we call it the dream where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're sweating and, and or or you don't wake up but you know you have the dream or, or you just shoot yourself in the face but you have the dream where you can't reach or you can't get back into the studio and the no, but on. you can't hit the, yeah. you can't start the next thing yeah. and even though it's been a long time since I've really done that you know I still every once in a while well, there's a romantic thing to it you know like yeah. that I think yeah. That's what That's I right. miss. That's what I miss about CDs in general yeah. and records. You know, it's yeah. just, just a romantic thing to yeah. it. But uh, I I know that that's changed, and a whole bunch of other things have changed, and it's got to be easier now with the digital mm. and all that. But but there's few of fewer of us around, and we're all spread thinner, and we're all yeah. taking on more tasks. I remember one of the first times I ever went into a studio, a radio studio, to do something, and. Uh, I was going in so pumped because I'm thinking about, like you said, I'm thinking of WKRB, you know, and I'm seeing all these records and all this stuff and I walk in, it's just a little office. I'm like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) This is not radio. Where's the music, man? It can be a little dis... And they're just sitting there doing this. Are you ready? Sure. Right. It blew my mind. Here's what I need to do. I don't know if I've ever told you this or not, but Gary Sandy that actually played... uh, he was the program director. Oh, the program director, director in uh, KRP. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. He lives in Cynthia. So, Does he yeah, really? Yeah, that's where he's from. I had no idea. I was at, at, at the tire shop one day, and this guy walks in. I'm like, that's the dude from WKRP. And I was asking my pop. He said, yeah, he said he just lives down the road. Really? Said, yeah, so I see him all the time. So, I mean, I got to get him I got to get him on my show one day. So we got, you know. So, oh, that's so, a cool one, huh? Yeah. Wow. But, did uh, he? Do you? No. Have you met him? Has oh he, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I sit and talk to him, and just I mean, he's in the shop probably three or four times a month. What does he do now? I mean, he's no, obviously in his seventies. Yeah, I'm assuming he's just well enough to do. I mean, he does some acting, like some plays and things like uh-huh. that. He's even been in some small little things around town. But you know, I'm sure he doesn't do it for the money. Next I, I mean, now, if you start telling me a story about how Lonnie Anderson lives in Sadie, no, Sadieville, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at you, cut. No, 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 Lonnie Anderson, but Gary Sandy does live in Cynthia. That's yeah. such that my my baby dinosaur brain has been blown. Yeah. So mine was too. First time I saw him. Does he have? Did he have any radio experience when he got that gig? No. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd ask him if he'd ever, you know, DJed or done any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just no, it's just all. Wow. Now, now it's killing me. I can't think what his name was on the show. Yeah, I'm struggling with it too. too. <clears throat> I think all the rest of them: Herb, Les, Johnny, <laughs> yeah. Venus. Now, uh, in all the years that you've been doing this, you've gotten a chance to meet some pretty cool people I have. like that. You know, um, there's this guy named John, <laughs> and uh, and this guy named George. Yeah. George now works in radio. <laughs> he, um, he's a rookie. Yeah. <laughs> He's a greenhorn for sure. But it's not just musicians. You've done actors and comedians. Yeah. A lot of stuff, man. Yeah. There's uh, been a few. I, I forgot their, I've forgotten some of their names. Got any highlights on that or any like that stick out to you just as somebody really cool that just blew your mind? 
are, do we want to talk about the porn stars? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> you know, those, those are always the ones that were kind of embarrassing. I mean, honestly, like... I forgot you did that, actually. Yeah. I remember that now. You know, it, it was really... I don't want to say that. I don't want to say... This is, this, does, this is not entirely true. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a forced on you a little bit. Right. Because the club who's bringing in the porn star is paying for advertising and they want a little extra bang for their buck, if you'll pardon the <laughs> sure, expression. Sure. So they want to bring in, you know, yeah. what's her name to be interviewed on the radio to, for that extra oomph uh, to sell tickets. So yeah, I mean, and it was always just a little like, it just felt like Christ, Christmas day. No, <laughs> Christmas it, it felt like, no, it just felt, it just felt a little cheap, you know? Yeah. Did you ever I, feel like you were kind of making fun of them? Yes. Yeah, but not meaning to. But you didn't have well, anything else really to say, or maybe meaning to, and just hoping they didn't catch on that you were both. Yeah, both. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know if I want to tell that story. <laughs> Bridget the midget. Oh. I've seen Bridget. The came, midget. came in many, many times, many years in a row, and, and I think she is deceased now. Yeah, um, you know, but just out of, um, I mean, we were trying to be nice. And Monkey Boy would be in the studio with me, and we were trying to be nice. We, so we went and got a milk crate, and we sat it next to the ch- stood, sat it next to the chair that she was going to be in, just to help her get up in the. Ch- uh, but we didn't know that right. she was going to bring her girlfriend with her, so she needed the milk crate too. <laughs> and it's the beginning of the interview, and they walk in the studio, and they and she climbs up on the milk crate, gets up in the chair, and. I just hadn't thought that far in advance. And as soon as she did that and the and the interview was I was already laughing and I just felt so terrible. I felt so shitty about it. Like, "Oh god, Dennis, you know, st- just stop, you know." And I would look at Monkey Boy and he'd be like smirking and like it was just, you know, just awful. I have but, a Bridget the Midget story. Yeah. Uh, so this has probably been I don't know, 12 or more years, but uh, we were playing Austin City one night, and uh, which is just down the road from the club you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got done, and that's the only place that's open, and me and the drummer, <laughs> we were like, Let, let's go over to the club. Why not? Let's get nothing else to do. I'm not ready to go home yet. Right. We didn't know anything special was going on. We just went because we thought it was a normal night. And uh, <laughs> Anything but. They're packed, so we right. get a seat in the back, you know, and, and we weren't, we were just there to continue drinking, basically. Yeah. It was the only place open. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting at the bar, and we're not even paying attention to the stage. But then, all of a sudden, the crowd rushed the stage. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what the hell, you know? And we're looking, and there's no, we don't see anybody. And these people are throwing the, we're seeing the money go. And we're like, what are we missing here, you know? And uh, finally, I was like, well, I got to go check this out, you know? Like, this, I got to see where all this money's yeah, going. I think this girl might be just laying on her back, spread eagle or something. Like, what's happening, you know? And then all of a sudden, as I'm walking up, I see this thing going up the pole real slow. And she got to the top, and I was like, okay, I see now. <laughs> I get what they're looking at. I can go back was, to the bar now. I was not expecting to see that. Yeah. So I knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and then afterwards you hear the stories, you know, and I mean, she was a trouble, you know. I mean, and a lot of them are, you know. The, right. and, you, yeah. and once you know that after repeat performances, interviews, you know, you just start going, I just don't really like doing this that much. Right, yeah. You know, and that sounds like uh, whatever, first world problems, but I mean, it, and it kind of is, but... I don't know, man. It would seem to me that anybody 
or maybe I'm wrong. I, anybody would have to have some issues to even mm-hmm. get in that business to begin with. Sure. You know, sure. the porn business. I mean, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not definitely ain't casting no stones because I could, you know, I live in the biggest glass house in the world, but. Yeah, we all got to make a living, I yeah. guess, right? But yeah. at the same time, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a, you know, I think that that's a a, a broad straight statement, but I mean, it, it, it applies yeah. for sure. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I've seen it firsthand. You guys have too, so, you know. But my favorite interviews were always the, you know, the, the rock stars, you know. Right. And Warren Haynes came in one day and just and played two songs just right in front, you know, there was a desk between us. So See, that's got to be the cool thing is when it's just one-on-one. yeah. Yeah. And getting to experience something like that. I remember Lita Ford came in and she had her guitar player with her. And she uh, and she had spent the last, I forget what the number was, 12 or 14 hours in the backseat of a little car with her guitar player riding from uh, the night previous night's gig, I think was in Arkansas. Wow. And she came in and she was so tired. I could just see it in her. And she goes, well, you know, she had that, you know, the, a raspier voice than I'll ever have. Well, would you like us to play a song for you? We brought our guitars in. And I'm like, well, you don't have to. I, you know, I was just really just going easy on her because I could just tell. Uh, but she did, and she was, you know, she did Close My Eyes Forever. They did it together. And, um, and you know, it was um, rough and raw as hell. But, you know, even when you hear live music like that, it's still like start that you can feel that match strike inside of your heart like, yeah. wow. You know, that's how much they love it. Yeah. 14 hours in a Pinto to get to Lexington, Kentucky to play another two and a half hour show and go to, you know, a radio station and play in the studio. Exhausting. And just yeah. at the end of your rope. I mean, you know, I got a lot of love for that. You know, and plus, music's not supposed to be perfect. Like, I always had a problem right. with music being too perfect. Yeah. And that, that's, Amen. that's what kills me about today's music. Yeah. Like, today's spectrum of, you know, every. That's why I don't practice. <laughs> that's why I'm just going to stay right where I am <laughs> I don't know if you remember this or not uh, but I'll never forget it um, several years back uh, Cinderella came to town and you texted yes. me about opening at, at, with George do you remember this? no something had happened I, remember you I don't remember if, if their opening act d- couldn't make it there was mm-hmm. something last minute because you called me like two hours before the show or texted me and he said, any chance you can put something together, I need an opening act right now. This is probably, what, 2012 or something? Yeah, it was about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 12, maybe. And I'm like, why are you calling me? I play country music. <laughs> I was like, but I definitely want to open for Cinderella. <laughs> I knew you were a rock guy. And I was like, I sure. would love to open for Cinderella. So I called George. I was like, dude, I don't care what we play. We got to do it. And he's like, I'd love to. But we had a gig booked that night already. That's right. I and do. Um, I, this is starting to come back to me. It, and it was, but it was so like you were in a hurry. Like I need, yeah. I need somebody right now. Can yeah. you throw something together? Man, I wouldn't have cared if we went over and played George Jones on. And I was I like, I was like what are we going to play? But I was like, I got to do this. And we didn't get to do it. I was so bummed because Cinderella was my band for, from that era. You um, know, and and very briefly, that show was incredible. They were absolutely great. But you know what was even better? Was I think two or three years later when Tom Keefe, the solo. singer, came solo with yeah. his personal band and his wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was at that show. Yeah, you were. Uh-huh. It was even better. Yeah. Do you remember him? Like he had some kind of like cold or flu or something. Yeah. He would turn around after every two or three songs, and it looked like he was you know losing a lung. I mean, I think I saw projectile <laughs> things. Yeah. yeah. And then he would turn around, come back, grab the microphone, and I, I think he closed with. Um, 
Don't came, it came in through the bathroom window, or was it... Um, Ooh, I don't remember. I don't remember. It closed with one or two covers and just killed it. I just, I just thought, oh my God, I, I just didn't see this happening. I saw them uh, in, at King's Island a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And uh, me and my brother-in-law went together, and uh, we went to the park beforehand. Mm. We ran into Tom Kiefer at oh, the wow. park with his family. Yeah. And he's literally in stage clothes. His hair's up. I mean, he's got the makeup on. He's got this, I mean, long, like, scarf thing going on. Pushing a baby stroller with a SpongeBob balloon tied to it. And I was like, I can't can't bug him, but I am so getting a picture of this. Right. So I've got a picture somewhere of him pushing the stroller at Uh Kings Island in total stage gear. It was awesome. That's great. (laughs) He's like, yeah, man, come to the show. I've got to ask you something. This is totally off subject. Mm. So we like to not... Do any research before we do these. We like sure. we like we're just going to have a chat. It's the Larry King approach. Yeah, but yeah. we d- I did go on your bio this morning because I wasn't sure where you were from originally. I didn't know if uh-huh. you were from here or not. Yeah. But as I'm reading it, one of the the random facts on there says, "Brush with serial killer," and oh. it says, "Story for a later time," and that's <laughs> now. <laughs> this, this is a later time. I was like, I need some of the true crime uh, ratings. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? Yeah, well, yeah, I'll never forget what you're talking about. <laughs> I saw that, I'm like, huh? You don't have to tell it. No, just, but I saw I, that, I was I, like, uh, I have to ask. Yeah, no, I mean, so it's really interesting from for, uh, for several <coughs> vantage points for me because I don't have the I don't have the precise timeline for it, and and the story of this guy is, um, you know, this was during I guess for lack of a better way during his fertile years. Right. So. You know, when I had my encounter with this guy, was it before he did these other things or was it after he did those other things? Uh, And all I can tell you is that my wife and I, at the time, we had driven to Florida on, I think, three separate occasions. One of the occasions was 1990, and it was the night of the, we were driving there on the night of the um, helicopter crash that took the life of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Ooh, really? Um, because I woke up the next morning hearing it on the radio. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of speculation, not sure who was killed and all that. Um, so that was one of the times. So anyway, it's, it's somewhere in and around 1990. Might have been 91, might have been 89. One of those trips. We're driving uh, from southern Ohio. It's uh, We'd been on the road for, I think, maybe 15, 14, 15 hours. <clears throat> Pulled into Tampa <clears throat> off of the highway to get gas. And there was a guy behind me, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't think much about that because there were still quite a few people on the road. But I'm on a service road, and I finally get to the Shell station that the highway sign promised. So I pull in, and I'm getting out, and as I'm getting out to, you know, grabbing the pump, the guy comes out of the Jeep and is kind of walking, kind of walking, kind of slow, kind of a little bit of, little bit of a limp almost. Uh, and he says, hey, buddy, you know, I just wanted to, you know, let you know that... Uh, you know they're looking for you. I said, well, "What do you mean?" They're... He goes, "Well, you got a tail light out on your on your car there, and somebody spotted one of the highwaymen spotted you, and they they were trying to send some guys down to pull you over, and they were going to give you a ticket." And I said, "Oh, I said, well, okay, I appreciate that, you know." <laughs> and I said, uh, "I said, do I really have a tail light out?" He says, "Yeah." He said, "I'm right behind you." I said, "Okay, well, um, I you know I appreciate that." And, well, and he kept standing there, and he kept talking. I'm pumping gas. You know, five minutes passes by. I said, well, I'm going to go inside and get a fuse. So I went inside, got a box of fuses, you know, 
crawling underneath the dash, and he's still talking to me. He's still, he's just hanging around. Right. Not a whole lot of activity there. <clears throat> Three o'clock in the morning. And, um, and, and eventually he goes away. Oh, no, no, no. He says, he, yeah, this is crucial. He says, you know, if you, he said, if you, you decide, I don't want you to get that ticket. He said, what you should do is you should drive down this little road here. There's a hotel down there. He said, you should just get your room and, you know, wait a few hours before the sun comes up. So I said, oh, okay. I said, oh, well, that's interesting that, you know, the sun up is in three hours or whatever. <clears throat> I get it. Um, I get in the vehicle. My wife at the time, uh, her Trans Am, which did have its electrical issues, as most of them did. She said, what was that? Okay, and so I'm so, early on, I'm so tipped off and weirded out that when I walk past his Jeep, I walk slow and I look in the passenger side window just to see what's laying in the seat. Now, if that doesn't tell you everything about this story and how the the conversation went. Yeah. Um, and I still remember doing that. And there were things like laying, there was a lot of stuff going on in there. I don't remember exactly what I saw. But... Um, I go back out, get in the car, he leaves, and uh, my wife says, what was that, what was that guy doing? I said, oh, I said, I really don't know. I told her, I said, Wait. he said this, and she said, well, you know, do you want to get a, you know, we can, you know, because I'm tired, you know, I mean, you're tired, and I said, well, let's, I said, you know what, let's just go ahead and drive down there and see what's about. Drove down about a mile and a half, all dark, no lights, um, it's like a service road to the service road, and there was like this little wasn't Bates Motelish. It was sort of like that. It was yeah. a motel. It was just yeah. the one story. And um, so I pull over in the parking lot, in the gravel parking lot. Mm. So that's kind of how all far off the beaten path we are. And we're sitting there and we're just talking and we're like, what do you want to do? I don't care. I'm just, you know, whatever. So we, you know, ten, maybe 10 minutes goes by. And it's a long stretch of road that I've just pulled off of. And in my rear view mirror, I see headlights coming from like a half, you know, half a mile down. Mm. And I just said to myself, that feeling? like, yeah. that's him. Yeah. I just knew it. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and she goes, oh my God. She goes, is that him? I said, lock your door. I said, do not get out. The keys are in the ignition. I'm not getting out either. I'm just going to stand up. Uh, I had to lift one leg in the, in the Trans Am, you know. Open the door, talk over the top. He pulls in next to us. Well, I see you did what I told you. You'd, you'd be smart to do. He said, I'm glad you listened to me. And he said, because I'll tell you, he said, you know, you don't want to mess with these guys, especially in the middle of the night and being out of the town and not, you know, not having to tell light and on and on and on. Well, I hate to ask you this, but he goes, my buddy pulled his boat up out of the, out of the bay. He goes, and um, he said, we, he slipped off the road and we kind of need somebody to help us Push it back up on the road. I said, no. I said, I'm, that's not, you know. Not. He goes on and on. It, literally for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Keeps coming back to it. Really could use your help, pal. I really, I mean, I was looking out for you. I, you know, what, don't mind asking you for another favor. Eventually, I just said, look, buddy. I'm going to tell you what's not going to happen. We're not going to do it. Tired, long day, traveling. You know, trying to make our mind what we're going to do. I said, I'd appreciate it if you go ahead and just take my no as an answer. And uh, he uh, he was not happy. Yeah, he was getting very aggra you know, agitated. And I got back in the in the Trans Am, and I just remember, but like my wife at the time, she just looked at me, and her eyes were just like <laughs> saucers. And she said, "What are we gonna do?" Because at that point, she knew too. Yeah. Like it was 
something wasn't right. Something was extremely wrong. And I said, <laughs> and I don't know how I came up with humor in this moment, but I said, we're going to go get that ticket. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I forget when, but it was like, I think it was the next day. And it might have been that morning when the sun was coming up because we were still driving. But at some point, I pulled over and used a payphone to call the Florida State Police. And I, for the life of me, I cannot remember... I don't, I don't think I got anyone on the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think somebody answered and they were going to transfer me and, and I stood there for, you know, five minutes and just finally I think I walked away. But, so fast forward and, uh, to about 2015, my dad was still alive because I had just told them the story of my parents. I never told my parents about the story or anything. Yeah. And they were, they were down here on a visit and it came up and I told them about the story. So somewhere around that time frame, I was upstairs in the morning getting dressed. My wife was watching TV and she was watching one of those investigation detective stories. And I said, where's this one take place? You know, I just walked in the room. I saw water in, in a, what looked like a bay and a lot of sunshine. And I said, where'd this one take place? And she goes, I don't know. She says, I'm not really watching it. So I, uh, I thought, well, let's see. And they, the next scene, they showed a sketch of a guy. Like She goes... I said, oh, they're showing a sketch, you know, and I'm laughing, you know. She goes, is it him? She goes, I said, I don't know, you know. And then about a minute later, they cut to a courtroom, and they show the guy walking up to the stand and sitting down to the stand and him talking, and I went quiet, you know. Oh, wow. And she walked in the room, and she said, I don't know what she said, but, but she saw my face or something, you know. I just said, that's him. That's insane. His real name, he told me his name that night. I'm pretty sure he told me his name was Dave, but his real name was Oba Chandler. And he had, um, and I mean, I can't say with, you know, 110% sureness that it was him, but I'm 99.9% sure that it was him. And, um, you know, I've watched the episode many times since and uh, and, uh, saw, read, you know, read his Wikipedia page. He was executed in 2010. He's the first person that they've convicted um, based on his handwriting. What he did was, somewhere around that time frame, there was a family in in Ohio, um, a dairy farmer family, uh, a woman with her husband and their two daughters. They'd never left the state of Ohio in their entire lives. And the mom says, I'm taking the girls to Disney World. Disney World. And... So they go, and, um, and then they're driving home like three or four days later, and the girls beg mom to stay one more day in Florida. So they pull into Tampa, and they're watching, and they get out of the car, and they're watching the sunset, and a guy comes up to them and says, I can take you out on my boat and show you the sunset, you know, out on the lake. And he wrote down the directions for a hotel for them to stay at right. the day's in, and he, he had a really weird crook in his Y. And so they end up putting this handwriting on a billboard years later, because it took them like three or four years to find him. Wow. But he took them out, raped them, um, duct taped their mouths shut, but not their eyes, which is pretty pretty sick. And wow. um, and then threw them overboard, tied concrete blocks. In. And then there were there was another lady who he accosted uh, at a convenience store, a gas station, mm-hmm. and uh, said, "Hey, I can take you and your friends." I don't know how the conversation started. She was from Canada. I can take you and your friend out on the boat. And uh, they said, oh, yeah, sure. He said, well, meet me out here at 5 o'clock, wherever, the pier. And, and um, so they both did, but the one girl backed out. And so he took the one girl out, and he raped her, but he didn't kill her. And he took her, he said, scream all you want. Nobody's going to hear you out here. He took her back, dropped her off with her friend, and then took off. 
and her friend, you know, obviously lived to tell the story about this guy. Wow. But they, they suspected he, you know, had done a lot more than just that. Sounds like you guys got lucky. God was looking out for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry for that U-turn, but I saw that yeah, in your no. bio, and I was like, I got to have that. Wow. I got to know. There's uh, the you people. my that... true crime ratings on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. Look him up, Oba Chandler. There's a guy at Indiana University that wrote a small uh Dossier on him or something. No, I, my, my wife probably knows who it is. She watches all forensic files and mm, all that stuff. Me too. Yeah. I'm into it. I, I do too. I, I listen to the podcast. Well, I mean, what always killed me is like, you know, I finally took the television out of her bedroom. Mm. For one thing, my wife can't hear. She's, you know, so when I'm trying to lay down and go to sleep, it's blaring wide open. I'm and right problem. before you go to bed, you're watching, you know, and I'm sitting there, and the husband got up in the middle of the night and Shot the woman in the face, and and, I, and you know, then she's waking up at three o'clock in the morning, yeah. smacking on me and crying. What is what is all oh, that awful dream you tried to kill? You gotta stop watching this crap, <laughs> yeah. especially right before bed. Yeah, I mean, I used I used to sleep just for protection for the kids, and I kept a shotgun just right in the mm. corner behind the table of the bed. And yeah. her dreams of watching this crap got so bad, I was scared that she'd get up in the middle of the night and grab the shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I put it up. I'm going to uh, take it back to, uh, to what we were talking about a second ago. Um, we were talking about your interviews. And normally, I ask our guest the same <laughs> question every time, is what their bucket list venue to play would be. But for you, I'm going to ask who your bucket list person would be to interview. Mm. Boy, that's a good one. Living or dead? Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, keep it, I'll keep it to music because, you know, because that's what we all live and breathe for um it would be oh god i could choose kate bush or tom waits or maybe bono were you a kate bush fan before this big resurgence i was i was probably the stranger things resurgence yeah so this is like this has been a hell of a summer because mm-hmm. i have been in home improvement hell all summer long, it's just been one of those summers where everything breaks, right? Yeah. But other than that aside, this has been a glorious summer because I, I've, I'm, I'm actually driving down the road and I'll pop over to one of the pop stations and I'm here running up that hill and I'm and I just become so happy. <laughs> I have this rush of adrenaline. I was probably 13 years old and I was and me and my older brother and his buddy, we would always stay up late and watch Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And uh, that was the thing to do. I mean, Belushi and Aykroyd and Chevy Chase and, you know, Gilda Radner and all those, you know. So one night, there's a, the, the, the host is Eric Idle. Well, I don't know who Eric Idle is. I don't know who Monty Python is. I don't know anything about. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of a dud. And my brother had already gone to bed and his buddy wasn't there at all. And I'm like, well, I'll just keep watching it. So uh, then a few minutes later, he comes back out and he goes, after the commercial break, you know, and now, Kate Bush. I'm unfazed, of course, but you know, tonight it's February 1979. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and this beautiful lady is wearing like this shiny leotard thing, and she's stretched out over Paul Schaefer's piano, and she's singing a song that I come to find out later is called The Man with the Child in His Eyes. Um, and I am fascinated <laughs> I mean I am locked on yeah. you know and I, so I followed her I mean I became an immediate fan she came back out and sang uh, Them Heavy People which is just weird 
But, you know, the first album was not very well produced. David Gilmour is still pissed about it after all these years. David Gilmour discovered her. Right, I did know that. Um, you know, was a friend of the family. So, um, you know, but I followed her through the years, and I would listen to a song or two that I'd pick up. But then somewhere in the mid-'80s, like somewhere three, four years later, I just started listening to her again, and I just became, you know, again, just overwhelmed with, like, who is this lady? You know, she's like, she kind of is the Pink Floyd of the, but you know, I mean, she's the first woman to ever write her own album and sell a million copies. First woman to ever have, write her own song and have a number one song in Britain. You know, all of these things she's done, and yet she was always reticent to travel and to tour, and she kind of had a disaster. One of her crew members died on her first and only tour up until 2015 or 16. She toured and she did like, I don't know, 12 or 20 nights at uh, the um, Hammersmith. But yeah, she just like she's just a fascinating, and you know, she built her own studio, and just to avoid the record companies, yeah, just because wild. she wanted to do her own thing, and I just I've always had just an immense amount of respect that's for good her. Answer. So yeah. maybe her because she's just so reluctant to do anything. Right. Yeah. yeah. But Tom Waits is just a scream. I would I would get lost in mm -hmm. all of the words, and sure. you know his verbosity would just drive me crazy. I mean, he's so funny. It's like. Dude, can you just repeat that one more time so my friends can hear it? Like, <laughs> I just don't. I don't think a Tom Waits interview would go well for me. It would be, be fun though. Yeah. Well, man, we only got a couple minutes left. Uh, tell everybody where we can find you on the radio at gigs and gigs you got come. This will air tonight, so if oh got, really? If you got gigs this weekend? Uh -huh. Let us know. No, I don't. Uh, we have a private gig that we're playing this weekend. Those are fun, aren't they? They are fun. Yeah. You just don't know what's going to happen, do you? We, we've got a group in Georgetown that we play yeah. uh, pretty much every major holiday for, <laughs> and they're my favorite people on the planet. And there's maybe only 20 of them, yeah. and it's just wonderful. Can I come yeah. play the triangle? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'll bring you on the next one. Yeah, well, you know, you can find us. You know, we, we still call Chevy Chase in our mm -hmm. home away from home, mm -hmm. just because, you know, uh, because we just love playing there, and we learned so much there, and it, it's always going to be close and special. And Elkhorn Tavern and Grey Line Station, you know, some of those places where like a two-man band thing works. Yeah. yeah. But you know, we have a bass player now, and a and a and a, and a drummer, and that um, you know that we can kind of fit together cool. um, a live thing. So that's kind of fun. Um, we haven't all played together yet. I don't think. I don't know. But yeah, maybe we did it Twisted Cork one night. Yeah. It's just a lot of, it's a different thing, you know, it's a lot different. Oh, yeah. Having your buddies up there with you. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you can find me under just about any rock. <laughs> hey, that's a rock and roll answer. <laughs> uh, classic Rock 92.1 has been good to me. Um, I, I really have learned to appreciate local radio, and I mean local radio ownership. Right. Not just, yeah. you know, but I mean, you know, I was let go from a station that didn't want to have any local aspect at all they yeah. just wanted local dollars they wanted to go out yeah. and get the advertising dollars and not not return that support to the community right yeah. I, I got a real problem with that you know yeah. and and I, I guess i'll always have that chip on my shoulder a little bit but but uh, but classic rock 92.1 is just a great place to be it's perfect for me i don't know how long i want to do it and keep doing what i'm doing because it's a, at a it's at a high pace right now yeah I'm extremely strung out, <laughs> um, but it's but it's fun and it's just you know it's it's keeping up with everything around you, 
and keeping everybody informed. But yeah, hopefully everybody will come out and see us play, and maybe maybe everybody will come see you guys play, and then me and Brian. Maybe we'll do it together sometimes. Brian and I come up yeah. and sing Squeeze Box yeah. with you. Right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> that and some Tom Petty is always on the list. When we're yeah, together. sure. Our mutual admiration for uh, Tom Petty. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, guys, go, make sure and go see uh, Dennis and Brian anytime they're out in town. Uh, a lot of fun, great guys, and uh, make sure and check out 92.1 and check out 105.5 with George Martin. Yeah. Every, every day of the week, but especially on Sunday morning. And you're sounding so good, man. I got to tell you, Scooter, like, I'll hear Scooter putting your brakes in. Yeah. So I get to hear you before it even airs. Yeah. Well, that he, I mean, the, the second one, I mean, and it just meant the world to me because the second one I sent to him, you know, I always make sure, and I'm like, hey, did you get the show? Because, you know, I'm just afraid something's going wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and then it was like four hours, and I never got a reply. And I'm sitting there like, man, either he got the show, it's awful, or he didn't get the show. And all of a sudden, I get an email back, and he says, you killed it. Very nice. Uh-huh. All right. I feel, that made me feel, you know, all right, I got this now. You're working for the best guy in Lexington. Man, he, hands down. And yeah. I mean... I think in the state of Kentucky, Scooter Lee Lee Reynolds yeah. is one of the best radio guys I think I've ever had the pleasure to meet. Yeah, well, he he's been very cool to me. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he, uh, you know, I just I just send him stuff through the week, stuff that I think of pops in my head, mm-hmm. and, you know, and he he throws them all in there <laughs> if I get requests, you know, and and all that stuff. The only the funniest thing though, uh, the one week I had like six requests, you know. And it's weird when you're not there on Sunday, but people are. Quick. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at them later. So all right, we'll get them on next week. And uh, so every request I, I told him I had, he put on there except for the old Hank Jr. song "Dinosaur," and it didn't pop in my head. You know, I'm sitting there going, and there's a buddy of mine that requested. And I said, so I text him. I'm like, "Hey man, what happened to Dinosaur? It's not on there." And he's like, "Well, Dinosaur has some questionable lyrics." Oh. And I'm sitting there going. And it, I mean, it's how dense I am. It took me a long time. To go, What's questionable? But oh, <laughs> well, you're sounding great, man. Thanks, it's it's, man. it's I'm really good. Really yeah. yeah, it's great to have you and Brad both on, on yeah. in, in the family. I guess. So. Yeah. Congratulations, dude. Thanks for doing this with us, man. It's fun. Thank you guys so much, man. This has been a blast. Yeah, I, uh, I love listening to you. Glad to call you a friend, and let's do it again. Thank you, John. Thank you, man. Thanks. Thanks, George. Yes, sir. That concludes today's episode of Weekend Superstars with John McHugh and George Moulton. A huge thank you to Dead Air Dennis, an absolute icon in Lexington Radio. Make sure and listen to 92.1 Classic Rock. Check him out. Make sure and check us out on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music, all that good stuff. Until next time, we'll see you all later. Thanks.